In the Perspectrum podcast, we discuss controversial topics. Outside of this context, Michael and I are both working professionals. While doing this show, we are not acting as agents or representatives of our respective institutions. And none of the views that we express reflect the outlooks of our employers. So don't come to my office and throw toilet paper at me. And I don't have an office, but don't come to my cube. Welcome to the Perspectrum. I'm Nathan Seelove. And I'm Michael Bloom. And I am back. I would like to give a huge thank you to Michael for filling in and picking up the slack. There was a death in the family, and uh, it was. I thought that he put together a very good program, and I really appreciate that, Michael. Thanks, Nathan. I really appreciate that, too. I'm, I'm glad, you, glad you listened and glad you liked it. Yep. So today, this week... A lot of stuff happened in the news, Michael. It was a very, very busy week. And uh, yeah, that, that always fills up our plate at the Perspectrum, you know. Exactly. So we had Donald Trump became the third president in history to ever be impeached. There was another Democratic debate. Uh, Congress passed a major trade agreement. And there was almost a threat of a shutdown due to uh, payments to Ukraine within a spending bill. Irony. (laughs) (laughs) But we're not going to talk about any of that stuff today. Oh, man, that's a Christmas miracle. (laughs) Yes, yes. So what is is our theme for today, Michael? Today we are, our our theme is um, avoiding like passion fatigue or like advocacy, advocacy fatigue. And the way we're, so basically that is when as an activist, as um, an advocate for people, um, you spend so much time and energy working on things that really, really matter that you get burned out and uh, it can lead to, you know, apathy. It can lead to um, complacency. And ultimately, like, that's why you see a lot of young activists and a lot of like quiet people between their mid thirties to forties to fifties, <laughs> they kind of burn out. Yeah. And today in that context, um, the, the, the way we're going to, to live the values of taking a break every once in a while is, um, by talking about something that is uh, not even real. Today we are going to be talking about the war on Christmas. Dun, 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 Santa sleigh. <laughs> Yeah. So basically, there's no freaking war on Christmas. It is a ridiculous notion. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the history of Christmas, why it's ridiculous that there to think that there is a war on Christmas, and how we should instead treat the holiday season. Yeah. Um, and so to give a little background, in case you're not like familiar with this term, I th- imagine most people are um, because it's it's been a pretty like strong cultural narrative. But if you haven't heard about it, like the war on Christmas is the idea that um, it was kind of popularized by the O'Reilly factor back in like the early 2000s that like Christmas is on trial, that that fewer people are celebrating it, that the people that are celebrating it aren't doing it right. It's it's popularized by like, oh, now you have to say happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. And like that the the like persecuted language of um, people who celebrate Christmas. So that's kind of like what the war on Christmas is. 
Because, of course, during the holiday season, there's only one holiday that anybody ever celebrates. That's why the song goes, we wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy Christmas. Yes, Happy Christmas. And and that's why there uh, are no Hanukkah songs or, you know, no one celebrates Kwanzaa. It's it's just Christmas. So None of it exists. Or the whole 12 days of Christmas thing or... Yeah, yeah, uh, that was... uh, Or the solstice. Solstice doesn't exist. And even the 12 days of Christmas, you know, that that's just, you know, 12 days of feasting historically to celebrate, you know, togetherness and then condensed into one day of shopping. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the history of Christmas itself, because what I think is kind of interesting about the whole conservative notion that there is a war on Christmas or that we should be forcing those that don't accept Christmas or the Christian way of celebrating Christmas or whatever is ridiculous. And it's antithetical to the history of Christianity and to the history of Christmas. So one thing that I feel like more people know, but less people talk about is the fact that Christmas traditions were originally taken from the various different pagan groups that uh, were throughout Europe. So as Christianity was spreading uh, after the fall of the Roman Empire, there were several different pagan groups with pagan traditions that lived in more rural areas. One thing that's kind of interesting is that the word pagan is actually Latin for field. And the reason why they were called that is because the Christians tended to be in more urban areas, whereas the pagans ended up being in more rural areas. So these were the people that worked the field. So the reason why there is this huge celebration uh, for these pagans was for several reasons. First off, they had just finished all of the harvesting. So you've come out of fall, which was when they did the harvesting, and they've done their work. The work is finished. They're no longer working, and the days are getting longer, which means that you start having higher rates of depression. And in order to fight that, they had this massive celebration around the time of the solstice in order to basically chipper themselves up again. So the traditions of bringing an evergreen tree into the house, those were these pagan groups. The tradition of Santa Claus is kind of a direct descendant from England's concept of the Father Christmas. And there were a bunch of other like Scandinavian influences that the idea of uh, Santa had. Um, And the thing is, all of these Christians that were living in rural areas were looking at these traditions that the pagans had. And even though they did look down on these pagans, they thought, hey, they're having a blast. Maybe if we started implementing certain aspects of those traditions into our own celebrations, perhaps we could appeal to more pagans. In fact, There was actually uh, the idea of uh, Jesus being born on Christmas was incorporated into the church pretty late in the life of the Christian religion. There was this idea that a lot of people had that the church considered heretical, which was that Jesus was not actually a man that walked to the earth, that he was just like a a spirit. So in order to fight against that, they were like, okay, we need to celebrate a birthday. And so they decided to make his birthday the time that all of these pagans were setting up these trees and having a great time with each other. Interesting. 
So in in these like more formative days, uh, Christianity was actually incorporating aspects of other cultures and other um, religions into kind of the fold, which is how like religions tend to evolve over time and how cultures evolve over yeah. time. You know, the idea that a culture is static only um, exists superficially and only can actually exist when cultures don't interact. So, yeah. And one thing that I think is fascinating about this is I have often had arguments with religious friends of mine in which I've said that there's a lot of aspects of Christianity today, you know, like the the anti-LGBT stances, the um, anti-feminist stances that is not very appealing to a lot of younger people, which is why a lot of people are leaving the church. And the argument I'm, I often hear is, oh, well, we can't just change traditions to appeal to people. Well, yeah, you can, because Christians have done that for a very long time. The, the, the celebration that everybody goes crazy about in the United States, Christmas, that was specifically created the way that it was to appeal to pagans to bring more people into the church. Yeah, that's, that's a compelling point. I mean, I get what they're saying about... So I, I, I have a challenge when we talk about like cultural things and like religion as a cultural narrative um, because... When someone says, well, we can't just change it um, in order to make people happy, there's a sense in which that's true. You know, like the intersubjective reality of like living within a culture. So that's when a whole group of people all believe a similar thing. And so they're enable, they're, um, it enables them to cooperate in a way that um, they wouldn't be able to otherwise. So, for example, like the idea of like live, living in a capitalist system is an intersubjective reality. You and I both believe it, and it enables us through believing it to interact in a certain way. And that's that's really what cultures are in a macro sense. And so, really, like you can't just change the rules because without that stability and without it, like a transition and and like more of an organic change people will, the, the intersubjectiveness of the reality will break down. Two people won't, won't actually be able to believe in the same thing. And so it's, it's a f effectiveness actually breaks down. But at the same point, at the same time, like you could certainly change the rule and then allow the intersubjective reality to follow. That's what like the Pope does in Catholicism all the time, which, which is, you know, a challenge I know for some Catholics is like when the most recent Pope came out and had a much more pro LGBTQ message, it was a bit like, you know, the leaders were leading. They were changing the rules. And, you know, a lot of the Catholics I talked to were like, well, I don't know about this new Pope, but, you know, we got to believe what the Pope says because he's, you know, a direct, has a direct line of communication to God. And so, like, you know, it's, it's tough for people to change the way they view the world, but it's possible. And and being able to lead people in a pro, in a better direction, like progressive, positive cultural change, is a total possibility. And so the argument that like, oh no, if we remove this one this one piece from the puzzle of Christianity, if we remove anti-LGBTQ um, uh, rhetoric from like christian culture like oh the whole thing will collapse and that's just not the case there are plenty of puritanistic views of christianity that have evolved in fact michael yes did you know that the puritans that landed on plymouth rock 
that we celebrate on Thanksgiving, they did not celebrate Christmas. In fact, you were not allowed to celebrate Christmas in that colony. That seems pretty antithetical to like like the common narrative of Christian development in the United States. The Puritans were were paragons. Except for the witch burning, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but you you were not allowed to celebrate Christmas among them because they viewed it as, hmm. well, why would you allow yourself to have pleasure on earth? God doesn't want that of you. Why would you celebrate anything? You weren't allowed to do that. Why hmm. would you give people gifts? That gives them pleasure. You can't do that. Yeah. The only reason they celebrate Thanksgiving at the time was because they were starving to death and people were charitable and gave them yeah, food. Yeah, I mean, you at least, you got to eat, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so. Even the Puritans will accept that you have to eat. <laughs> um, so with this in mind, I want to talk a little bit about something that I get really annoyed with around Christmas time, the time of the holidays, and whatnot. So I am someone that thinks that almost everything is political. I am someone that thinks that everything should be political. Whenever a person tries to make an argument after some kind of national tragedy happens, like, oh, you're politicizing this national tragedy, whether it's a, a mass shooting, an attack, whatever, they're like, oh, don't politicize this. My response is, well, no, you should politicize it. Because politicization influences policy, and policy influences our ability to prevent tragedies and uh, catastrophes from happening in the future. So you should politicize tragedies. Absolutely. So I will be the first person to say, no, we should politicize this. But when it comes to holidays, when it comes to celebration, just don't. I mean, <laughs> just don't. Yeah. So. And the reason for that is like, so the reason you would politicize something like a natural disaster or a mass shooting is because you actually have, like, there's actually a good reason why you might want to change that. If you can allocate more money towards infrastructure and prevent or, and, you know, uh, fighting climate change and, you know, uh, put more money towards FEMA, you can have a substantive, substantial impact on the, in, the effects of a natural disaster. If you have sensible gun control legislation and mental and mental health counseling uh, available to people, like you could have a significant impact on um, the rate of mass shootings in the United States. But do we really need a significant impact on like holidays? <laughs> yeah. Like, Does getting, that matter? <laughs> getting pissed off at the way someone else celebrates a holiday or decides not to celebrate a holiday that does not affect anybody on a major level that only affects you and the person that you're harassing but nathan doesn't it just get under your skin when someone says happy holidays no <laughs> <laughs> it does not so oh it's just grating to my ears it's a it's just a a, a secular well-wishing <laughs> Which is funny because the word holidays literally means holy day, which is one of the least secular things a person can say. So, <laughs> like, so if someone's so a secular a person is basically saying happy holy day, and you're like, oh, you godless heathen. <laughs> so, my encouragement for anybody 
if a person comes up to you and says, happy holidays to you, just say it back. If you want to say Merry Christmas is kind of like a, uh, not a correction, not like a retort, but kind of just an acknowledgement, then fine. Go ahead, do that. Like if someone says, hey, happy holidays, and you're like, oh, Merry Christmas, that's fine. I, I, I don't think there's a problem with that. But if someone is like, happy holidays, and you're like, um, Merry Christmas, you're an asshole. Like, <laughs> you're just an asshole. Someone was being nice to you. They took their time out of their day to acknowledge the fact that you might be celebrating a group of holiday traditions as well and that they hope that you have fun with those and you are just an asshole. And that goes for well-wishings in general. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> if someone says like, you know, have a nice day and you plan on having a crappy day, <laughs> like <laughs> it's still, that's okay. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, like if someone says Merry Christmas to you, yeah. Like say happy holidays back or, you know, say Merry Christmas back or, or yeah. whatever. Like it's not um, like, so say, say I said, uh, say I walked up to Michael, it was night outside and I was like, Hey, um, have a good day. And he was like, it's night. Uh, you are factually <laughs> wrong about what time of day it is. Yeah. Yeah. That would make me <laughs> yeah, a <exactly>. dick. So <laughs> that's not to say that you shouldn't like, make yourself seen you know like in a country that is so overwhelmingly um christian and in which like the majority of people are like white and they celebrate christmas and all that stuff like saying you know actually i celebrate hanukkah so happy holidays or you know actually i celebrate kwanzaa like that's that's totally fine You don't have to be like you don't have to be mean about it. The person yeah. was like you know trying yeah. to or be, even, or even just sort of nice saying it back. You. Like someone says Merry Christmas, but you celebrate uh, Hanukkah, and you just say Oh, Happy Hanukkah. I I think that's perfectly reasonable. Yeah, absolutely. And there's and there's you know there's power in that. You know you're saying actually there's uh, there are other ways to view the world than the one you're seeing me yeah. with, yeah. but at the same time you're acknowledging that this person is wishing you nothing but wellness and, and yeah. good so things. So don't turn well wishes into a power struggle. Yeah. No reason to politicize that. Yeah, um. exactly. And, I mean, Michael and I are relatively secular people. We know what it's like to live relatively. in a nation. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're pretty freaking secular. Um, but we, we know what it's like to live in a country that is majority Christian. Um while we don't really share that value. Uh, 70% of the entire nation is made up of Christians. But you know what else is another kind of interesting statistic related to that? 93% of people celebrate Christmas. Holy crap, no wonder everything's closed. Yeah, 93% of people in the country celebrate Christmas. Like, worst culture war ever. Yeah. (laughs) So... I guess, yeah, so I guess, like, that is the real reason, kind of, or one of the main reasons why we're talking about this. So one thing is, you know, be positive, right? Like, it's the holidays. A, a lot of people, it, when when you look at the overlapping holidays, a lot of people are celebrating this time of year. It's generally a jolly good time, you know, be positive. But the other, the other side that we wanted to touch on a bit is um, the role that this kind of 
um, war on Christmas narrative plays in kind of the larger like culture war narrative that Nathan just referenced. And so the reason like that, that that is actually important kind of is that, you know, we have, I'm sure you've heard it just talking to people, but even in, in the news, um, people think this, like the culture war, the war on Christianity in general is like a true real thing. And that like Christians are being overcome and being like put into the minority and, you know, that their culture will be snuffed out. And so like even, so Eric Trump in, in 2016, when he was talking about why his father ran for president, um, he said, uh, he said a, a, a big paragraph, but this is, this is the thing he said with reference to the war on Christmas, where he sees the tree on the white house lawn has been renamed holiday tree instead of Christmas tree. I could go on and on for hours. Those are the very things that made my father run. And those are the very things he cares about. So things like, you know, Americanism, Christianity, patriotism are all being rolled up into this one culture war narrative that if you look at that, that feeds into a persecution narrative for the majority. And when you start, when you start making the argument that a majority is being persecuted, it can get really dangerous. You are a 93% majority. Yeah, exactly. 93% in terms of, <laughs> in terms of, um, people who celebrate Christmas, 70% of people in the U.S. are Christians. And so when you start, you when you make the argument that the majority is persecuted, um, you start giving license to the majority to do things to protect themselves, to take aggressive action to protect themselves. And you see this argument again and again around the world as it feeds into like genocides. Like when you look at Hitler's arguments for... Aryan supremacy in World War before World War II. He was saying like, you know, the like purity and the goodness of humankind is and and the culture of like the white Aryan is being threatened. We have to take aggressive action. And and that narrative is a really powerful one. And when you can make the argument that a majority is being persecuted, all of a sudden like it can it can get really dangerous really fast, and that's how like fascism can easily take over. That's how genocides can get kickstarted, and so it's interesting to like go through the news and read um, about like the facts, the studies that are like feeding into this narrative. So I was reading one, and I just wanted to mention it. So I was reading this one article um, decrying the the uh, decline of uh, a Christian America. So one of the the study that it really heavily focused on was the uh, was a study from the Public Religion Research Institute or PRRI, um, and it recently measured the percent of Americans that are both white and Christian, so white Christian Americans, and it found that for the first time um, since people have been studying this, uh, now that group is a minority. So 43% of Americans uh, in 2018 identified as white Christians. But, but it's still a plurality, though, a right? A huge plurality. Like, there isn't another substantial, like, it, there isn't another cross-section of two things, religion and race, that, that is that large. And when you actually dig into it, like, 
that is they're, they're, the argument they're making about the religion aspect of it is ingenuous. So, so what they say is compared to 1976, where 80% of Americans identified as white Christians. Um, but if you dig into it a little further, you, look, you see that 61% of Americans today are white. Um, so, so you see that 82% of white people were Christians. And if you look at 1970, yeah. 88% of people were white. So, and 92% of white people were Christians then. So the actual decline in Christianity among white people is only 10%. Whereas they're saying, yeah. they're trying to make the argument that it's a, a twofold decline, that you're having the number of white Christians. So what they're actually picking up on is a decline in whiteness, not a decline in Christianity. And so That's what you're seeing, yeah, what you're seeing is when people are talking about Christianity as a culture war, it is um, muted language for race as a culture war. And the <laughs> over the integration of racial... Um, uh, different races into the United States. And largely that's through integration. That's like people, you know, people of other races immigrate to the United States and have families. And then, you know, with, and then white people and people of color have families together. And then that person is no longer just a white person. So like, so, yeah. so the idea that Christianity is under fire is patently or, or, or decline, like significantly declining is patently false. What is happening is America is becoming more diverse racially. And remind me the percentage of people in Congress that are Christian. Uh, that's 91% of Congress Jeez. is Christian. 91%. Versus 70% of the U.S. population being Christian. So so Christians over-index in the, in the Congress by 21%. And the, the challenging thing is that if you talk to like a white person, Christian person about that, um, they will point out rightfully that globally, Christians suffer more acts of religiously motivated violence than other groups. And partially that's because they're an evangelical religion that goes, that is a mission, that has a missionary base. So they go to hostile places and take action. But that doesn't make it just, that just kind of explains part of it. But the important part is like, okay, that's a problem to be solved in the world. And overall, acts of religiously motivated violence are growing globally overall, not just among Christians. Um, so that's a problem to solve. But that's really not true in the United States. Yeah. That type of culture war does not exist in the United States. In the United States, the majority of religiously motivated violence is committed by white Christians. So just to summarize... If someone, when you hear this narrative of culture war, question it. Because even in like, even in more objective and even on liberal sources, you very rarely see people actively reject that claim. And I think it's a really worrying trend to see. Um, because as I said, you know, when majorities push the narrative of persecution against minorities, all of a sudden, you have a group of people that hold all the reins of power that feel like they have a license to protect themselves aggressively. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's a dangerous recipe. We did get a little bit more controversial and more, <laughs> um, and more uh, serious as it went on. Because, I mean, to be fair, we can't help but talk about controversial issues. But overall, I just want everybody to enjoy their holiday. Whatever holiday you celebrate, hell, even if you don't celebrate the holiday and you're just off because your work got you off, um, just enjoy yourself, you know? Yeah. Stay warm. Get cozy. If you have family, be with them. Yeah. Indulge. Uh, and with that, you know, we're going to wind up our episode with uh, highlights as usual. Um, but we thought we'd come to you guys with, you know, just a shorter episode focusing on a, a little bit more trivial topic. Sorry, I got dark there, but <laughs> I actually wasn't completely expecting that. He kind of just sprung that on me. <laughs> Sorry, but I, you know, you, you, yeah, my apologies. <laughs> but okay. Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what's your highlight? <laughs> so my highlight is that um, combined with the holiday and with working remotely today and tomorrow, um, I'll be spending a full 10 days in a row with Bree this week, which is crazy and wonderful. So that's basically, that's my highlight this week. Nice. Um, I've been spending a lot of time with uh, Jess as well. I have finally finished up. I, I This happened two weeks ago, but I wasn't on last week's podcast, so I'm just going to go ahead and say it now. I got my grading done. It was a lot of grading. It took a long time, but it's done. It's turned in. I'm on break. I'm enjoying myself. Oh, and also, uh, Halo Reach has re released on PC, and I've been playing the hell out of that, and that's been fun. So that's my highlight. <laughs> and with that, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Um, uh, I hope everyone has a happy holiday. It's the second day of Hanukkah, so happy, or at least when we're recording this, not when you're hearing it. Uh, happy Hanukkah to um, people that celebrate that. Merry Christmas in a couple days, and uh, thanks for tuning in. Bye.